Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 519 on Tuesday, the 28th of March, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be discussing a spike in hot air emissions over the year 2035. We are confused at which continent one new car is claiming it to be its heritage. And we find out that even great companies have bad days. But first, we have some follow-up. And again, I feel this is one of those, unless you lived under a rock, you will have heard something about it. Mm. And it is the news that the EU has come to an agreement over allowing e-fuels to be used on new internal combustion engine vehicles after 2035. Yes. Germany and Italy and their associated friends across Europe went, uh, hang on, we're not very happy about ICE engines being iced, as it were. Post-2035, Germany came up with a request to add e-fuels, as long as they were net zero or zero carbon, over the creation of them to delivery to being put into a vehicle. All that had to be no carbon emissions. And Italy had asked for adding biofuels. Italy has been ignored. <laughs> Germany has carried on. And the Italian yeah. press have reacted as one would expect after being dumped by Germany. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is all the, uh, I was going to say all the Italian car, the Italian, uh, the Italian car makers, uh, which is basically Stellantis, which is also written with the French. Mm. So I, I'm a bit puzzled by that one and who's going to be quite so outrageously outraged. Um, well, interesting. Uh, the- unless it's the unless it's the people who in, who import who import cheaper vehicles from China and sell them in Italy, which does happen. We just know they just never make it as far as any other countries. Mm. But interestingly, VW, the head of VW, said it, this was a distraction and we should be yeah. not worrying about it. But the one thing that I I've been confused about over this entire thing, mm-hmm. so many people who are against the idea of e fuels say you can mm. never make them carbon neutral or net zero, whichever the phrase is, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. And if that's the case, and you put in the legislation or the rules, it must be carbon neutral. Mm. Then if it doesn't turn up, you've not lost anything. Yeah. But if it does turn up, then you've got the ability to reduce the carbon emissions of the existing fleet that will still be there Mm. after 2035. Let's all remember. No one's coming along and taking all the cars off everyone. Oh, that's it. I just think this has been such a silly argument and should have been included from day one. And because, I, because, like I said, either it doesn't happen and the people who said it doesn't happen mm. can go, see, it was never going to happen. Fine. Nobody loses out because everyone's focusing on uh, electric and, to a certain degree, hydrogen. Zero tailpipe emissions. Mm. Or it does happen yes. and you go, great, we've got, a, we've got a way of reducing what we've already had as well as making sure that anything new doesn't mm. produce much. I believe there is still some tailpipe emissions, even with e-fuels, but I haven't looked into it enough, really, on them. Yeah, it's just going to depend on what it, how or what it burns. But the, the thing is, again, it's worth reminding people on the 1st of January 2036, or whatever the date is, that it's not as if every internal combustion engine vehicle ever built is going to be removed from the roads. And it's not as if every petrol and diesel station in, the world, in, uh, in Europe is going to suddenly cease to exist and not be selling fuel at all. Mm. Okay? 
they will still be there. They will be there. They'll be open. You can go along. You can fill your fill your vehicle with compressed dino juice as you require, and you will be able to drive as far as your bladder lets you. <laughs> I, I do think there's an awful lot of huffing. I mean, yeah, maybe we're missing stuff. We probably are. There's been an awful lot of, as you say, hot air and puffing and puffing over this, and it's just like, it's not really much of a win, this, is it? No. I'm sure I'm never going to drive electric club, and, and people who are quite tiresome, yeah. actually, on, on those kind of topics are happy. Well, to show you how, how daft this has all been, there will be uh, a few links in the show notes. The first one will be the Autocar article that explains what's been agreed. Mm. Then there will be one from Politico that explains the political, funnily enough, ramifications of the arguments that have been going on. It's really quite interesting, actually. How it's actually creating a new division in, or not a new one, but the division has become very clear in uh, Europe over the powerful countries and who is wanting to do what. <laughs> and then there also there is an automotive news article that is partway through this process. You can get, a f you get an impression of what's happened along the timeline as well. Mm. Yeah, there's some good stuff there. There's, there's some good background reading there, definitely. Next up, uh, still follow-up, but we spoke the other week about 3G being turned off in some parts of the UK and talked a little bit about some of the knock-on effects. So, and another one has been highlighted this week by that well-known source publication, the Stoke Sentinel and the Stoke-on-Trent Live website. In seriousness, they are going to turn off pay and display parking meters. One of the reasons being that whenever you want to pay by card and pay the right amount, then they all run on 3G in the background to, to take your, your card payment. Because, of course, nobody wants to accept coins anymore because coins are expensive because you have to go out and you have to collect them and you have to make sure people don't pinch them and all that kind of good stuff. And they're pointing out that this is a problem. And it is. Loads and loads of car parking companies are trying to move everyone to using apps, which is great. If you can wrestle your way through another car parking app, put in all your car details and put in your car registration number and spend 20 minutes setting the darn thing up in the first place. And that's fine if you're someone like me who will stand there, tuck blow, but do it anyway. If you're my mum, that ain't going to happen. No. Quite frankly, if she has to phone up and talk at a robot voice, that ain't going to work either. And trying to get her to download and install an app. Well, first of all, we have to remember our passwords for the app store, don't we? <laughs> and that's the first of many challenges. Yep. You were saying, Andrew, that your mum doesn't even have a mobile. No. So that sort of adds 20 levels of complication to this. It really, the knock-on effect of the turning off of a network, I mean, it's the same. I mean, I deal with it with, with companies and cloud migration and network migrations and all sorts of hilarious stuff that they're planning for. It's a lot of work. And I think that this one, I don't know that quite all the ramifications have been thought through and definitely not communicated, uh, maybe beyond the boundaries of the mobile phone companies. Mm. Anything I've missed in that one? No, but there is additional uh, information on this. We did ask Ken Tyndall last week if he knew more about it. Mm. And he did point me to a few lists, which I haven't included in the show notes, but a few lists of cars in America where they're actually having the emergency service elements of cars so it's like the car sos uh, location uh, all, all the stuff that's just ha that they've just had to add to vehicles in europe yeah? yeah um they are being switched off because they use the 3g frequency mm -hmm. 
And there is no, uh, looking at one manufacturer's response to this, there is no uh, alternative way to activate it. There is no add-on that you can have. There's no third-party thing. It's just it Mm -hmm. now off. And these are vehicles that are not that old, as in were sold in 2019. Yeah, and it's not down to the manufacturer either. No, this is the service providers, the, uh, the phone networks, who've switched it off in agreement with the regulators who've allowed this to be switched off because people just mm. haven't thought it through. Yeah, usual old story. But the one thing you did mention that I think will be interesting to see if this affects things moving further on is there is the EU just agreed a rule that manufacturers of technology must keep that going for 10 years. Yes, exactly. And there will be there is something similar in the UK, particularly when it comes to the car side of things, connected car services, that it's specifically in that act that they have to look at the lifetime of a car. Mm-hmm. Again, we've we keep asking, and I have I've not seen an answer to it, but what is considered the lifetime of a car? I think it must be more than ten years mm-hmm. because the average age is has gone up to twelve twelve or fourteen years, I believe, in the fleet. From memory, there was something about Parts availability for vehicles having to be 10 years or 10 years after a model is finished or something. Mm. Maybe someone will correct me on that if I'm wrong. Uh, if, if I'm wrong, please do. I like the idea of after it's finished, after it's stopped being Yeah, there is, there is something like that, which is that you should have parts availability and, and model support. Uh, and it's 10 years, but I, I can't remember the details of it, and I didn't get a chance to look it up this morning. Mm. Okay, I'm going to continue with... Uh, follow-up, and this is the news that Mercedes must pay damages if it used defeat devices on diesel cars. European Court of Justice has ruled that Mercedes-Benz must pay compensation for use of unlawful defeat devices if a buyer has suffered damage for their use. Now, there's two big ifs here. Hmm. Firstly, it has to be ruled that the Mercedes software, which switched off certain aspects of the uh, exhaust recirculation rate or changed them Mm. when ambient temperatures fell below certain thresholds. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this with Volkswagen in other countries. And Stellantis as well. Which then leads to an increase in nitrogen oxide emissions. If that is ruled as a defeat device, then someone claiming to have been affected by this and seeking damages can take it to court. Then they have to prove that they were personally damaged by this happening, yes. which I've never understood how anyone is personally able to, even though there are courts across Europe and the UK that are saying, yes, you've been harmed. I don't get it. No, me neither, because it's not as if the residual prices have dropped in any way, no. shape or form. It now falls to German courts to determine whether the software in question is a defeat device or not, and whether there's a good reason for its use. It is a German court. I think one thing we've seen since the start of Dieselgate is that German courts can be unexpected in their outcomes, uh, and it does does vary. And then the next step for that is all the separate EU member states, that's not the UK, must independently decide what the compensation is yeah. if it applies. So lots and lots of step, steps in that, but it it is sort of looming and fumbling away in the background. Dieselgate is not yet dead because lawyers can string it out as long as lawyers want money. Yeah. Forever and ever and ever. Well, let's move away from lawyers and some more positive news. New news. Yay, finally. 
McLaren Automotive. It's kind of a small, sketchy story here, not a lot. But it's reportedly secured a £70 million cash injection by selling some shares to some of its existing investors. This is part of a wider plan to raise £500 million, and that's needed to prepare the company for complete electrification. Mm. Um, McLaren haven't been commenting, according to, to Autocar. I was reading the drive of the new Artura in, uh, in Car and Driver. A dead tree edition as well the other week. Ooh. And I know. And it highlighted, it mentioned something which had never really occurred to me before, which is obviously Lamborghini and uh, many of the, you know, m- many of those, many of the supercar brands, you know, that they're, they're owned by big groups or they have been traditionally and have lots of cash as a result or, or, or whatever. All those parts of the premium automotive group that, that, that we talked about last week with Bentley and, and Audi and all that. As long as they keep returning profit, they can get all the cash they want from Volkswagen Group. Yeah, Ferrari was part of Fiat for a long, long time, and you know still has ties there with, with with parts and technologies and things. But McLaren aren't; their cars are just McLaren, mm. and that the Artura really has stretched them because it's you know it's a whole new hybrid powertrain, new tub, new everything else. It's the car that isn't the same as all the cars that have got all the McLarens apart from the F one that have gone before. And that is one of the reasons why they, they keep looking for this investment is because they, they're paying for it themselves. Yeah. Basically, they're paying for it themselves. So it always sounds a bit crisis-y when it's always McLaren looking for more money, McLaren looking for more money. But then it was, it, I, I was reading that and I thought, oh, that's a very good reason why they're always looking for the money in a more public manner than maybe other, other places. Yeah. But let's move from classy Woking to classy Glasgow. Ah, yes. An article in, again, one of our more frequently useful publications, the Glasgow Evening Times. The headline is, Bid to slow down M8 traffic to 30 mile an hour to go to council. And this is all about a trial to slow down the part of the M8 that runs through the city centre to 30 mile an hour and monitor the air quality as a result to then see if slowing it all down improves the air quality and therefore they can justify expanding the ULES to include motorways. And then ultimately, once it's 30 mile an hour, say, actually, it's not a motorway anymore. We will call this a boulevard and that's under a whole new different set of rules. (laughs) There's a number of things here. The first one is that some of you will be listening and go, ha, 30 miles an hour, I should be so lucky at at certain (laughs) parts of the day. Okay, so that's the first gag out of the way. But the second part is really, if they're going to measure the air quality around the M8, then I hope that they're also measuring the air quality in surrounding areas of the city as well. Mm. Cathedral Street, for example, and some of these areas where cars are likely to divert onto because they realize that actually if everybody's doing that much lower speed limit, then there is no time penalty in going elsewhere through the city or around the city. Yeah. Now, I know it's not so bad since the M70 whatever extension opened finally some time ago, and that made traffic on the M8 much, much lighter. But still, this seems... This seems quite bat-poo, given the original intention of the M8 was to make it easy and smooth to go through the, the, the city. There's a One of the quotes from uh, Councillor Mearns, who is calling for the action, is 
Uh, alongside better, more coordinated and affordable public transport, it is essential that a future and alternative vision for the M8 is developed, not least given the eye-watering public cost of maintaining it as it is. Well, there's a certain truth to that. Yeah. There, there is a certain truth to that. So it, This isn't to say, because this is only being put forward to be considered and to be approved yet. So this isn't a done deal. No, this is still early mutterings of it. This is somebody going, hmm, I wonder what would happen if. So, so it's, it's not imminent. They would also need to understand where people are coming from and going to mm. when considering this as well. Because if this is your route through, because you have to and your options are, shall we say, limited, not optimal <laughs> yeah. for times of day, the purpose of the journey, all those other things, then people need to start considering this. And at the minute, no mm -hmm. one really is. They're just looking at one very focused aspect, which is to reiterate, again, if you're new to listening to the show, we do believe in clean air. We do not believe yeah. that people living in urban areas should be poisoned by vehicles or anything like that. That, that is not a thing that we believe in. Um, but a wider focus needs to happen with these things. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, wow. We're getting all the nice places in this this week, aren't we? Are. we? So Leicester. Mm. Electric bus fleet is to get £3 million in government funding boost. So once again, first bus, first group are getting more money from the government. <laughs> it's a great business model. They are. I mean, really, they have a fantastic business model. It's, it's nothing to do with actually carrying people anywhere. It's all about getting the money because for the potential to carry people places. It's quite stonking, really. Um, so this should go on to fund 18 new electric buses in the city of Leicester. In total, the government has invested nearly £22 million in Leicester's bus fleet uh, through the Zero Emission Bus Regional Areas Scheme, uh, with 114 electric buses now operating the area, according to Move Electric. The buses come from, will come from Wright Bus in Northern Ireland, and they're quite smart-looking things on these pictures of them, definitely not in Leicester. Well, Leicester is renowned for the sea that you can see off one picture. <laughs> yes, well known for its coastal location. <laughs> and, uh, and scenic back roads, by the looks of it. And mountainous roads as well. Yes, exactly. So, the bus, so this bus centre of excellence follows £155 million announced last month that support bus services around the UK. Uh, helping to provide affordable journeys by extending the £2 bus fare cap. Mm -hmm. There we go. Yeah, no, I think it, it's a good idea. It's a good thing. It will help because it reduces noise, it reduces pollution. It can only be a good thing. And the £2 um, bus ticket is a brilliant idea. If you can take yes, advantage yes, of it. Yes, it is, actually. Yeah. Andrew, one of your favourites, and people who are following me on Twitter this week and before the weekend will have heard my grumbling about this kind of stuff ferrari well, there's two topics you love ferrari and ransomware well yes quite ferrari has admitted that they have been hit by a ransomware attack and they have had data breached which has exposed customer details but they are at pains to say that it did not impact company operations that's great the gdpr guys will love hearing that yes they're gonna love that customer information, personally identifiable information, has been leaked. But it's all right, because the company's operating just fine. Well, quite. We talked in January about the, the security researcher that found 
a way to get into the entire back end of Ferrari's database and pretend that they were a dealer and get access to all the info dealers can, which included getting into Ferrari's really quite special information too. Mm-hmm. It is alleged that they, because Ferrari haven't really admitted this, but it is alleged that they were hit by a ransomware back in October 2022 as well, which apparently coincided with them dropping a Russian sponsor. But the because we don't know the group <laughs> oh. that was involved, we do not know if that happens to be pure coincidence or whether there is perhaps some association there. <laughs> yeah. But. What was taken, uh, because customers have been informed by Ferrari, is that names, addresses, email addresses, and phone numbers have been accessed. No evidence that financial information and details on owned or ordered cars has been compromised, apparently. That's all right, then. That does not mean it hasn't happened, but there is no evidence of it happening. Um, But it is okay, because uh, Ferrari is going to stick by its principles and not bow to ransomware very brave of them when it is their customers' data and not their own data. Yes. If I was a customer right now, I would be talking to Ferrari and I'd be saying, when did you get hacked? How did you find out you got hacked? What are you doing to fix the hack? What are you going to do to compensate me for you losing all my information that will now be sold on the dark web? And how are you going to resolve this issue and build my confidence in the future? Mm -hmm. If this happened after the security researcher revealed it in January, they will be absolutely panned by the regulator and by personal court cases because the people who buy Ferraris don't tend to mess around and have quite a bit of cash. Mm -hmm. And for God's sake, car industry, start taking this seriously. Um, I am sick to death. I am sick to death of you not taking this seriously, not paying properly, and here we are again talking about yet another hack that should not have happened i really want to make fun of andrew at this point but i actually agree with him completely associated reading we are giving you a lot of associated reading this week but on tripwire as a blog thanks to graham cluley who's written an article about europe's transport sector and how they are being attacked in the last year or with cyber attacks uh, and how ransom attack is the most popular thing. It, obviously, it's not just car manufacturers. This is all of transport across EU, but it is an eye-opener and something to pay attention to because this is only going to get worse, particularly as we decide to connect more and more and use more and more of personal people's details and information and stuff to allow people to do anything, like get on a bus or... Mm-hmm. Park a car, even. Yeah, I, it's, I, I, some of you on the Twitter, follow me on Twitter, will have seen me complaining bitterly about having to do yet another IT security training course because I have to do five or six of them a year for different clients. But last week, I then read something like this and think more people should have to take these ruddy training courses. Mm. Absolutely. Because it's just such a thing I suffer, yes. whereas I think other people, more people actually need to know these things yeah they do they absolutely do to save me uh, bursting a blood vessel yeah would you like to take the next item yes the annual pwn to own <laughs> competition in vancouver took place recently and it is it is a hacking competition and basically it's white hat hackers and they compete and there's prize money 
uh, if you manage to break into something or if you manage to expose a, a expose a weakness. And one of the things you could do was you could you you could you had to hack a Tesla Model 3's uh, operating system, and um, you could win the Tesla and cash and cash. Well, yes, they won a load of stuff though. So I don't yeah, know if yeah, all the they, cash they was to do with that. Well. Oh, they got cash as well for that. Um, so yes, this was Synactive, a uh, French security company. They won $100,000 and the Tesla Model 3 after submerging, after, according to the register, uh, subverting the Muskmobile's entertainment system and from there opening up the car's core management system. By uh, doing that, what they managed to do is things like uh, get the frunk to open uh, when the car was was traveling uh get doors to unlock uh when cars were traveling uh, all sorts of fun things which could not you know in any way shape or form cause accidents or bad things to happen mm. it wasn't just that there were lots of other bits uh bits and pieces around operating systems as well but do be aware that this kind of stuff is going on and and again it just underlines the last story i don't want to spend too long on it no. but it just underlines the last story that the cars and vehicles are now seen as fair game, and that will probably have a bad effect on at least one of us at some point in the medium future. And until car companies, to reiterate what you said so well uh, a few months ago, until car companies realise and start paying attention and taking it seriously that all software in a car is safety critical, this will continue happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway. That let's move on from that and move to Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you have any spare cash and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from our podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that and some of you do, so thank you very much. Then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. And thank you to those of you that have been recommending us uh, randomly on the social medias recently. We have mm -hmm. stumbled across them because I know you didn't tag us in and we appreciate that. Um, but we do. We're very grateful that you feel we're uh, worthy of passing on for other people to listen to. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. New new car news. Mm. The Ford Explorer is back. Everyone was talking about this last week. Yes. So it's one of those. If you were, you had to be under a stone to have missed it. I think so. Ford were were very vocal and very proud, uh, and fair dues to them. They have given us some ever-increasing ramping up of the teasing as this date as last week mm. approached but this is the european focused suv from the more american than an american company could be if we listen to all the information we've been told by this company in the last couple of weeks there have there have been maybe a few mixed messages um yes. on americanness and but it's all for europe coming out this car is not going to america though this this is no, this not. is for europe but but i like that it's right we andrew and i disagree on this topic i'm just going to make that clear now before you pick it up pick up the vibes for yourselves <laughs> okay because i quite like it and i understand the europeanness and americanness being mentioned together because of course explorer uh, a well-known sort of model moniker here in the us 
but it's not a vehicle that would work in Europe. So what they've done is when it came time as part of their joint venture with Volkswagen to create what one wag called, and you know, round of applause here, the ID. Ford. Yes. Um, when Very it came to their time <laughs> to, to base a vehicle off the, uh, off the Volkswagen ID4 platform, they thought, oh, actually, if we make this a little bit wider, we can give this a visual similarity to the Explorer. So it gives that bit of that Americanness um, for a vehicle that we've never sold in, in. That's not true. We have not sold in Europe for some considerable period of time. <laughs> and when we did, it was nothing like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, knowing that it's on European underpinnings, that it's, it's engineered for driving on European roads. And all that kind of stuff, and I think it looks great. It is essentially an ID. It is essentially an ID four, and that means that there's some compromises, like the messy C pillar, Andrew. It's dreadful. Do you feel better that I've said that? Okay, right, good. It, it, it's utterly dreadful, but yes, carry okay, on. Let's move on. But you also get much better uh, interior. You get better controls. I know it's a big screen, but at least the big screen illuminates things. It's low down as well. Well, no, but it can be moved up. Okay. So you do it and you go, so you can move it down out of your line of sight so you don't get distracted, or you can move it up if you need to see more on it. Okay. It is more adaptable than that. And the pictures on this Move Electric story uh, that'll be linked in the show notes shows in one picture with nobody in the car, the screen is down. And then when there's a driver not going any speed at all, looking like he's about to drive off a cliff with one hand on the steering wheel, one hand on the gear selector, then you'll see the screen is in a higher position. But yeah, it's a D4 size. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. So it means it's based on the same as the, is it the Enyaq? I think it's the same size as the Enyaq in some of these. It's slightly longer than the ID4 apparently, uh, but obviously it's on the same platform. So it's got to be, it's going to, as you say, it's going to be very close. Mm. I will not disagree that it's not a very important car for Ford, particularly mm. Uh, and the market, particularly the size point as well, it is a really important vehicle, uh, particularly as it's going to help them get to the point where they are doing their own vehicles themselves yes. rather than this shared platform stuff because they've they've already started to, both VW Group and Ford have started to step slightly away from that mm. partnership that they had because they needed to get over certain short-term hurdles. These are, yeah. These are those sort of vehicles, and I am sure it's going to sell really well. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's there was one last thing I was going to say, which I've now forgotten. Oh yes, uh, did so the vehicle, despite the fact it shares the platform with the ID four, it will be built in a full plant in Cologne, and actually the line for this is the line that replaces the Fiesta. Okay. Anyway, do you want to tell us about a new, in inverted commas, Nissan and inverted commas, uh, electric van? Yes, Nissan has revealed details of the short wheelbase Townstar which will have a 45 kilowatt battery, kilowatt per hour, sorry, battery, and a range of up to 183 miles, according to WLTP, or apparently up to 269 miles in a city cycle. But Andrew, those sound like very similar statistics to the Renault Kangoo and the Mercedes Citan. Funny you should mention that. If you look at a picture that is linked to in the show notes on the electric.com article, there is a reason why. They sound very similar. And when you see the exterior, you will think, hang on. That looks like a kangaroo. (laughs) Quickly zoom in on the badge. (laughs) Yes, you made a very good point before we started recording about the vast options now that we in Europe and the UK get when it comes to vans. 
Yes. So you've you've got the Stellanto van plus Toyota. Uh, you've got this, which is the Alliance Benz, and yes. you've got the yes, the Volkswagen, uh, which which you know follows on from that joint vent the joint venture and the joint work between Ford and Volkswagen we just talked about with the Caddy and the what's it called this week? Is it Transit Connect, Transit Courier, Connect, whatever yeah. Connect? Yeah, yeah, Connect. I think. Yeah, but this is all those sort of smaller, not a transit-sized vans. So it's the ones mm. between a car and, and that, uh, which you see so many around, particularly in Britain, because they're such a great, useful size. They are the perfect size, yeah. 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 The prices are going to start from uh, 29945 and go all the way up for the uh, Tecna Plus model to 34845 then there's the long wheelbase version, which will allow up to two pallets to be uh, put in the back of it. And that will start at 31,245 and go up to 35,845. This is so much better than the thing it's replaced, the uh, ENV200. My milkman actually has a fleet of them and loves them. Ch- a chicken coop would be better than ENV200. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it did not deliver the dynamic qualities that perhaps most customers were hoping for shall we what, say one of the funniest stories i've ever heard from from a motoring journalist was a story from someone who was in the original nissan serena which is essentially the same vehicle well the previous generation of the same vehicle and nissan serena do trying to do the uh trying to do trying to figure it at a tre- test track and the absolute horror that came when he realized he still hadn't quite managed 60 and the end of the the end of the track was was approaching, and it wasn't just a case of will it get to sixty; it's will it stop before we reach the barriers. Oh no! <laughs> it's a heavily so edited at, story. At least, that one. At, yeah, at least there's another. If if your preferred brand is Nissan, then there is a an option now for you to have a smaller van, to particularly in the uh, urban areas uh, where we need to move to a uh, zero emission vehicle. The yeah, it basically depends on what the rest of your fleet is and which branch of um, if you're in Scotland anyway, which branch of Arnold Clark you prefer. Stand to your dealer of choice, and that really will be the big differentiator. Will be quality of dealer service and convenience of dealer service for you. Yeah, uh, in any of those vans that I mentioned earlier. Yes, any of the three. Mm. Uh, right. Do you want to take us uh, or uh, throw us into points of interest and start with the lunchtime read? Well, yeah, first up in points of interest is from Haggerty, as so often. And this is an excellent article by, uh, by Anthony Ingram about Michelin Man, about uh, Babendum, and how the evolution from really quite scary thing that drinks a glass full of nails in the, in, in the 19th century, uh, right the way up to the obligatory 3D rendered uh, marshmallow yes. man uh, of today personally i'm for the 1980 to 2000 instances is kind of the area that i'm i'm most familiar with i'm most happiest with yeah because the current one is a bit creepy as have many other iterations been in the past okay so that's, oh, uh, yeah. that's nothing new some of them have been really quite scary 1910 is particularly yes weird. it's like i have just eaten you uh, type of thing yes. uh, but do do have a read of this because it's 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 really very good and it talks a little bit about the rest, how the restaurants come into it and all that kind of stuff. Really good story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that one. Okay, I'm going to take us to the list of the week then. And this is from Jalopnik. And the headline is These are the worst cars penned by Pininfarina. 
Okay, Alan, you've got 12 to pick from. Do any stand out more in their poorness than others? I don't agree with all of these being poor, to be honest, either. Um, me neither. I, I... There are some real humdingers that were bad. So the one I really like is the Cadillac Alante. The one that was the Italian body shell shipped across the Atlantic in converted Boeing 747s and then mated to a Chrysler engine and transmission. And I, but I think, but I, I've always thought it looked quite good. So yeah, that's, that's actually out of all of these. Um, yes, I think it actually looked quite good. Yeah, as ever, look in the show notes to run through the list yourself and see if you agree with Alan mm -hmm. uh, on what he's picked there, or if you feel that there was something that perhaps should have come to the top of the list because there's there's just some true horrors I, I, in there. To I be feel fair. that the Alante and, was and it gives me faith. Yeah. It, it gives me faith that even people who or companies that are supremely skilled can have an off day. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're quite good at recycling ideas in some cases. Yeah, I think it depends how much yes. money the the I client think the 70s had. Seventies demonstrated that, did it yeah. not? <laughs> for, for a lot of car, a lot car of, designs, well, even into the nineteen sixties. Yeah, well, we've got this design. Let's roll it out to three or sell it to three or four different companies. As all of a sudden, you have Peugeots and Austins that look remarkably similar. <laughs> right. Do you want to take us to Japan for the end finally? Yeah, and finally this week is, uh, it's actually this week's video from Tom Scott, and it's about uh, robotic parking garages, and a, it's actually a new design of one in Japan, but it's still interesting, um, and it talks about bicycles first, and then works its way up to how EVs can be parked and parked and charged and all sorts of stuff at the same time, using, uh, <laughs> linking back to the van story, using Nissan this example one uses Nissan badged versions of the, the Renault Twizy, so I actually have no idea what that model's called. Yeah. Lots of interesting stuff there. There'll be a bone, a link to a bonus video, uh, YouTube one from over a decade ago now, which is the the internet didn't exist then, Alan. It, it can't it be true. barely existed then. Yeah, with someone someone who'd left a, a camera running in their windscreen uh, whenever they put their their Alpha into into one of these in central Tokyo. And that's quite interesting. There's, it's interesting in a way that you're most waking up quite slightly blurry, mostly dark screen and some lights moving around, but it gives you an idea of just what movements vehicles make uh, once they're inside these, these, kind of, these, these robot parking garages. But Tom mm. talks about why they exist and stuff, uh, and it's, it's a decent enough way to spend 10 minutes of your life. Interesting one. I like that. It is. Um, no parish notes this week that I can think of, Andrew? Nope. No, I can't think of any. Awesomeness. Uh, that rounds us up, I think. Don't forget, folks, that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts, or show up Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. So remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter and Mastodon, and I am floating around one or both of those at some times during the day. And Alan, if people would like to speak to you personally, what's the best way to do that? Pretty similar, to be honest. The best to use Twitter or Mastodon, where again, I am at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back uh, very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.